you just uh, fill Norm and Jan and their staff with great joy in the ministry they do. Give them energy and strength and discernment that comes from your Holy Spirit as they apply uh, your your word and your truth. And um, we just thank you, Lord, for their partnership. We lift them into your care and keeping. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you uh, ever had a conversation with someone where you feel exposed? Uh, you know, where somebody speaks truth and your, your motives and your inner thoughts and all those things are just laid, laid open and you feel raw. And, and, and the, their words are like, um, like, like salt in a wound. It stings and it, and it hurts and it, and, and, and it burns. But the only way that true healing comes, of course, is when a wound is exposed, a flaw is exposed, and, 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 and healing and, and wholeness come as truth is applied to that situation, which is what Jesus does for us in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' words, as we've seen these past few weeks, they're, they're sharp and they're direct, and they just cut through everything. They cut through our self-justifications, through our rationalizations, uh, and they cut to the inner life, to who we are on the inside. Because as we've seen, Jesus is, is in God, is they're, they're, they're not so much, they're not only concerned with the exterior, but they're more concerned with, with the interior, our motives, and who we are in our heart of hearts. And, and so today we, we come to a, a passage, the next passage in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6. We're just going to jump right in. We'll begin with verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So this verse basically sets up the rest of this section. I mean, this is one part of a, of a long sermon Jesus has through chapters 5, 6, and 7. And, and, and this section, he begins the, the next teaching with verse 1. If you understand what he's saying here in verse 1, It'll help you apply and understand what he does in the next three examples that he uses. Because that's what Jesus does. He, he uses three different examples, as we've seen in the past few weeks. He'll talk about something. Here's three examples. And then he'll dig into that. This is what's wrong with what's this, this application. Uh, and this is what you need to do uh, in response to it. And Jesus begins by giving us a warning. He says, be careful, look out for, be on guard against practicing your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. Now, th- this is a tricky thing because what are we doing today? We're getting together and we're, in a sense, practicing our righteousness. We're, we're worshiping, we're, we're, we're singing, we're praying, we're giving, we're interacting, we're reading the scriptures. We're, we're doing this together and, and it's public. And, and Jesus does not speak against doing that necessarily at all. Rather, he talks about how we need to check our motives. Why do we do what we do? Do we do it for to be noticed by others? Or do we do it to honor God? And so the three examples Jesus uses, and he draws this out, are giving and praying and fasting. So let's begin with verse uh, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 2. And we'll work our way through these three areas. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Then in the area of prayer, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Then the area of fasting, verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. So these three, uh, giving, praying, fasting, were three of the, the biggest, most important uh, spiritual disciplines and practices uh, in Jesus' day to, to be seen as a person who is righteous. Uh, so giving, of course, is indicative of, 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 of showing love to those in need. And we read it today, we might think of, well, he's referring to charitable donations and tithing. But it's, 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 it's more than that. Because it's important for us to understand that in Jesus' day, in the first century world, there was no such thing as state-run welfare. So if somebody was poor or oppressed or needy, uh, the only way they could be cared for was through the generosity of others. Prayer, obviously, uh, is, is a way that we relate to God and, and love God and communicate with God and hear from God. And fasting, of course, is a spiritual discipline where we train ourselves to depend upon God. We give up something, food or this or that, for a, for a period of time so that we can focus on God and our relationship with him and grow in our dependency upon him. So with these three, giving, prayer, and fasting, Jesus is hitting uh, the, the major ways that the hearers of his words would have thought to pursue what God calls righteousness. Now, it's worth noting that Jesus here, he assumes that we will do these things. He says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, not if, but, but when. And, and I bring that up because I've, I've talked to people who try to take Jesus' teaching here, and they say, you know, uh, look, Jesus doesn't want me to be fake, so my heart's not really in this. I'm not going to do anything. And as an aside, if, if that's your thinking, let me say, I, I love you, but you're, but you're wrong. I mean, think how we do this. If we apply this in the area of, of our physical health, you know, we, you might say, well, I know I should exercise. I know I should eat the right foods, but I don't feel like it. My heart's not in it. So I don't want to be a hypocrite about it. So I'm just not going to do it. Uh, the point is that eating rightly and exercising is good for us and helps us to flourish. It's good for us physically. We, we, we don't not do those things simply because our heart's not in it. The same is true spiritually. But as we do these things, Jesus, Jesus warns us. He says, be careful, be on guard against doing these things just to look good in front of other people. You know, I, I love this about what Jesus says here because he's, he's coming after something that we all know lies at the heart of much of what we do. The reality is that there's always this temptation, no matter what our beliefs are, to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Do you ever do the right thing for the, for the wrong reasons? And to the people that do that, Jesus calls them hypocrites. Now, in Jesus' day, the word in Greek that we translate hypocrite, hypocrites, it wasn't necessarily an insult or pejorative or negative. It simply referred to an actor or performer in a play. Jesus is saying those who do what they do just to be seen doing it by others, those folks are actors. 
They're just performers. They're, they're, they're not the real thing. Their, their righteousness is, is, is a sort of theatrical righteousness, a performance for the applause of other people. Now, obviously, Jesus is speaking to religious culture where people would tend to show off their piety. That's obviously what's happening here. The, 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 these people, some of the teachers and Pharisees, they were, you know, when they fasted, they'd make sure they looked like they were really suffering. They wouldn't comb their hair. They would make their faces look pale or they would make the, give their offering in a very public, very public way. They would stand and pray in front of everybody in a very public way, in a way to draw attention to themselves. Jesus says, when you do that, you're a hypocrite. Since our culture isn't really one where people, by and large, prayed their prayer life, it might seem a little difficult to translate into our context, but if we dig a little deeper, I think we'll see that most everyone wants for people to think we're better than we actually are. How does that play itself out? Well, do you ever feel pressure to maintain an image? To keep them in appearance in front of other people. Maybe you can't relate, but I can. I know when I started seminary, one of my professors uh, started by talking to the class, hey, it's great that you're called in the ministry. This is wonderful. What a privilege. Uh, there's going to be a lot of joy and excitement and challenges. And, but he said, be sure you're called because being in ministry can be spiritually dangerous to your spiritual health. And the reason he said it is because you can begin to perform and seek the applause of the people that you're serving to portray a certain image, you know. And, and we all tend to do that. You, you want people to think you're good at your job, that you're a great father or husband. Uh, you, you want people to, 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 to appreciate what you do. And it's a weird thing because, you know, what I do and what Wes does and Paul does and Tyler, uh, Leslie, it's, 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 it's a public job. And so I don't know about them, but there are times when I, my motivations can be a little bit of a mixed bag. You have to step back and discern, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing this to earn the applause of people? Or am I doing this to earn the applause of God? And, and I think, you know, this is a common struggle we all have, whether you're a pastor or you're a teenager or you're a mom or you're a, a business person or, or, or dad or, or whatever. And I think it's heightened because of, 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 of a lot of areas, but especially because of what we see in social media. I mean, people want to portray a certain image. And so you, 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 you adjust the picture, you make yourself look better, you do this, you do that. Seeking the applause and approval of other people. We, we want people to see us a certain way. And, and it's not reality. We treat likes and retweets as justification and validation for who we are and what we do. And I'm not saying it's, it's bad to, to put stuff on social media. Not at all. But we have to constantly be checking our, our motivation. Am I looking to seek the approval of others? Or am I trying to point people to Jesus and seeking his approval? Now, maybe social media is not an issue for you. But maybe we do this in other ways. Maybe we fish for compliments. Or we draw attention to ourselves in conversation, making sure to drop the, you know, the good things we did or said into the dialogue. 
Or, or maybe it's not what we say, but what we don't say. Maybe we're never really honest about our sins or our failures or shortcomings. Maybe we sort of dull the edges of the things we need to confess so we don't look so bad. The point isn't which group does it or in what ways we do it, but that this temptation in some form or fashion lives in each one of us. That we're constantly tempted to live for the applause and approval of others at the expense or in front of the applause of God. And Jesus warns his people, be careful about this. Be on guard about this. But I find the way that he, he, he words his warning to be very interesting. Let's pick it up again in verse 2. I'm going to add a little bit to this. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And then fasting, verse 16. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they have disfigured their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. So Jesus doesn't threaten them with, uh, with lightning bolts from heaven because of the, their theatrical righteousness. They're putting on a show righteous, righteously. He simply says, you do these things, getting noticed by other people, that's going to be the extent of your reward. That's it. That's all you're going to get. And he just, just, just leaves it there. You want the attention of other people? You've got it. There's your reward. And if you don't pause and think about it, you might fail to realize how sobering that is. He's saying that that, that momentary rush of dopamine, that temporary boost in self-esteem, the momentary affirmation given to you by that person, a group of people, by, 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 by what you do or what you say or how they think you are or by what you post, those little heart icons, that's what you get. That's it. That's the extent of your reward. He's touching on the reality mentioned in Proverbs 29:25. The fear of man is a snare. In other words, living for the approval of others is a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. It's a trap, Jesus says. Looks appealing, maybe feels good for a while, but in the end it will not give us what we need, what we truly desire. It's a futile endeavor to seek the approval of others at the expense of approval to God. I mean, the approval of others is fleeting anyway, isn't it? I mean, we live in a world where there's this cancel culture. People who are held in high regard, applauded by the masses, they're forgotten, they're condemned, they're ostracized. People turn on them in a, on a dime. Their post gets swallowed up. Their good deed gets forgotten with the passage of time. In the case of my sermons, I've learned that usually it's a couple days, maybe a couple minutes, a couple hours before they get forgotten. It's like this hamster wheel. We never stop chasing the approval of others. And I don't think there's ever going to be a moment in your life or in mine where we say, you know, I think after people recognizing this last thing I did, I don't think I need any more human approval for the rest of my life. I'm good now. It's like this, this drug that we need, this drive for approval, for recognition. And so we end up living with our emotional state hinging on what other people are or aren't saying about us, 
or what they might think about us. And we have to manage our image and live in two stereotypes of whoever's approval we're chasing. Whether it's think a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way, vote a certain way, often conforming to their ideas of righteousness over and above those of God's. But Jesus offers us and points us to something much, much better and something much, much more rewarding. You know, I was reading about a guy who made brownies for his kids. His kids didn't know that he'd made the brownies. So uh, after supper, before he brought their brownies and said anything, his kids said, hey, can we get a piece of the, of the Halloween candy? You know, they, they've been storing it on a, on a, in a cabinet, on a, in a jar, uh, several months old, kind of old, stale Halloween candy. And he said, well, if that's all you want, if you want to settle for a leftover Halloween candy from last year, knock yourself out. And so a couple of little kids, they began to ran for the candy. This is, this is awesome. But the oldest one had a flash of insight and said, wait a second, settle? What do you mean settle? Isn't there something, you mean there's something better that we could have? And dad pulled out their brownies. The kids exploded with excitement. That's sort of what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, you want to settle for acceptance. You want to settle for the approval and admiration of others as the defining goal of your life. Okay, knock yourself out. That's going to be your reward. You've settled. He's wanting us to ask, isn't there, is there something better that we could have? And so look what Jesus says next. Verse 3 this time. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In the area of prayer. But when you pray, verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then in fasting, verse 17. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now when Jesus says, do these things in secret, he's not saying that the point is to, is to hide them. He's not saying that outwardly we should look unrighteous, but then surprise... We've been doing good stuff all along behind the curtain. We have to remember this is part of an of a overall larger sermon. Because just earlier in chapter 5, what does Jesus tell his followers? Your salt and your light. Let your good deeds shine before others so that God will be given the glory. There's not, there's not a contradiction here. When he says secret, he's, he's, he's addressing the motivation of why we do these things. And if we have a problem doing these things with our motivation doing them in public, then we better, we better start practicing them in private until we get our motivation right. And Jesus' solution to our performance problem is to change the audience. What really ought to motivate the things you do, he says, isn't the notice of other people, but rather the notice of God. He's changing the audience. It's all about the motive. And the only way to kill this, this, this incessant need that we have to perform, 
to get attention. And it's it, in its most odious form is a spiritual. This theatrical righteousness is to starve it out. It's to stop worrying about other people's eyes and trust that God's eyes are the only ones that matter and to, and to do what we do. To pray, to give, to serve, to fast, whatever it might be, to, to do it for an audience of one. So let me, let me leave you with a few questions to consider. What audience do you live for? The audience of people, the audience of God. What groups do you most want to impress? Why do you want to impress them? Who are the people that you want to think well of you? Do you care more about their approval than God's? Is the public you more righteous than the private you? When you're around people, are you more like Jesus than the, than the private you is? The fear of man is a snare, this word says, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So, so we began by asking if you'd ever felt exposed in a conversation where, you, where you're brought up short, where you had nowhere to hide and, and the words stung and they burned and they hurt. Just like Jesus' words do. And our response, we have two choices. We can ignore, we can rationalize, we can self-justify. And we can seek the approval of others. Or we can be honest, we can acknowledge, we can confess, we can repent, we can receive, and we can seek the approval of God. The reward we receive will be commensurate with which choice we take. May we choose God's approval, God's affirmation, God's validation over everything else and everyone else. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We thank you, God, that you care enough about us, that you tell us the truth. Lord, we confess that we are all a mixed bag of, of, of emotions and motivations and inconsistencies. Father, we confess that we have fallen short and have often sought the approval of others over you. Father, we ask that through your Holy Spirit and through the power of your word that you would change us and transform us, that our heart's desire would be to, to live our lives for the audience of, of one, ultimately. Lord, Help us to seek you, to see the big picture, to seek you, Lord, to honor you, so that our insides and our outsides are increasingly in power more, and more tangibly, um, more clearly in line with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you to stand for uh, the benediction. Um, and while you're doing that, I encourage our prayer team to take their place at the hallway to the side here. Um, if you would like to 
have somebody pray with you after service. They'd be honored to do so. They would love to lift you up in, in prayer. So join them there after the service. And now may the love of God the Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, His Son and our Savior, and the power and fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and always. Amen.